Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 24. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, verse 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray together. Lord, please add a a blessing to the reading of your word. Jesus, I submit myself and my words to you right now. Lord, only under your covering am I safe. Are my words safe? So grant today that not a single person that you're calling and drawing to yourself would leave here submitting to themselves, but would leave here liberated by your unique and powerful leadership that is without rival, that has captivated and liberated me. I submit this time to you. Amen. Welcome again to the Springs. And if you're visiting, my name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor. Uh, Today we carry on in our Ephesians preaching series called In Love, which comes from Ephesians 5, uh, verse 1, the command to walk in love. Coincides with our holiday that's coming up. But you need to know that only when you're captured by the eternal love of Christ, only then will you truly walk in love toward others. God did not intend for marriage or any of our other human relationships to conduct themselves the way that most of us are accustomed to conducting them, as bilateral bilateral contracts where I make you happy if you make me happy. That is not how Jesus designed or intended marriage or relationships. He intended us to be secured by a higher love than the other person so that we can be freed to love that other person when we're in submission to something greater than that other person and that we can mutually submit to something much more eternal and great. 
So today I dare to speak and preach the loaded S word, submit. We're going to talk about uh, marriage and the roles that God has given to us as gifts of husband and wife and how that relates to other uh, powerful ways that we can conduct ourselves transcendently in all of our relationships. We're going to talk about, in marriage, headship and submission, speaking of husbands and wives, respectively. So husbands, when you leave here today, you will enjoy Super Bowl Sunday like never before. Go home and watch the game in peace with your wives, having understood your authoritative dictation to keep the kids quiet and only approaching you during the game if she's bringing you a beer. Because after all, that is what the Bible teaches about submission, is it not? Most of us are snickering for good reason, and I hope that all of us can understand the facetiousness of that. Because we're free enough from a misunderstanding of that foolishness. But I'm here to tell you that all of us in here, even the most of us who understood that to be a joke, all of us in here are ripe for a very important paradigm shift about the passage we just read and what God truly teaches to us that's way better than what we teach to ourselves and a lot of the garbage that our culture teaches us. And I pray that you would be brave enough to dive deeply into Scripture and see for yourself with me. We're going to be brave and jump into this passage. But before I I teach verse by verse through this passage, I want to take you on a little bit of a grammatical excursion, okay? So if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to ask you to just put your thumb down at verse 21 where the, the word submitting first shows up. And then put your forefinger, and you can, I guess you can do this depending on the size of your text. You can do it on your phones too. Uh, if you can scroll all the way up to verse 15, put your forefinger on the word walk. This word submitting is a Greek participle. Anyway, I'm taking you on this grammatical thing because for me, having fresh eyes by looking at grammar in another language has always been helpful for me. My Language in English didn't make sense to me until I, in college, my senior year of college, I took advanced Spanish grammar. Uh, sometimes looking at things through another lens of another language is, really helps you get a fresh perspective, okay? So, uh, real quick grammatical excursion. This word in verse 21, this submitting word, which really sets up everything after that, the, the, the admonition to wives that we're going to talk a lot about today, and then next week when we pick on husbands a lot more specifically, this all comes from one long sentence. Verses 15 through 21 is one giant long Greek sentence. And the word submitting, which builds into the wives submit to your husbands that comes after this, this submitting to one another in reverence for Christ, the word submitting is a a type of verb that's dependent on this word walk in verse 15. There's a bunch of different participles, little dependent verbs that kind of unpack 
how we are to walk carefully then, okay? Try not to nerd you out with all that, but it's important to understand that this word comes from Christians having fresh eyes to walk appropriately, appropriate to the, the God who shed his life for us. So let's go back to verse 15. Look carefully at verse 15, which tells you to look carefully then at how you walk. Not as unwise, where the King James literally says, not as fools, but as wise. This is the third time that this word walk is mentioned in these 15 verses. This one first part of this chapter, this word walk is mentioned three times. They all build on one another. The first is uh, verse one, walk in love. We've mentioned this. This is kind of our series title comes from this command to walk in love as dearly beloved children, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant sacrifice. So his sacrificing his life for us gives us a love that we can walk out. And that's why verse 8 says, walk as children of light. And as we covered last week, we need to remember that we, we weren't born children of light. We were built, born uh, children of darkness, as First as John says. Children of the devil. By nature, objects of wrath, as, as the second chapter of this book says, Ephesians. Or this, earlier in this chapter, verse chapter 5 says, Sons of disobedience we all once were. We weren't born into this love that we can walk in. We were sacrificed into it. The sacrifice of Jesus, by whose sacrifice we can, we can claim as our own by substitution, we are now in this love because we are covered by his blood. Without that, we are still objects of wrath. That's why we celebrate communion. We remember, we have to look back at what he's done to look carefully at how we walk moving forward. We were objects of wrath. We are dearly beloved children. Why? Only because of what Jesus has done. That's the only reason why we can walk in a way that's unwasted. Our nature is changed. The way we walk is changed. We go from objects of wrath to objects of forgiveness at a very high price on a particular Friday afternoon from a perfect God shedding his perfect blood for us. That's the reason why we can conduct our lives accordingly because we are forgiven and we can walk out the love that he's specifically placed in us can walk in love. Now, this word, walk, is a Greek word which means to make one's way, to progress, to make due use of opportunities. Uh, it's used elsewhere as to live or to regulate one's life or to conduct oneself. It doesn't just simply mean literally to walk. And here's why I took you on the definition of that. Because your life and your conduct especially in relationships, which are the most important things, reasons why we breathe. Your life should be regulated by and controlled by and under submission to men and women. 
a love that Christ has placed in you and that he offers you. Look carefully, therefore, how you walk. Now, verse 16 says, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Making the best use of time. That's the first little verb that hinges on this walk thing. Like, be careful how you walk. This whole verse really serves to underline and emphasize that we need to be careful about how we walk. Listen, you need to be careful. Turn to your neighbor and say, be careful. So your neighbor was talking to you because God's talking to you. I don't, I don't care if you've been in church like your whole life. You need to be careful. We don't need to walk around paranoid that the devil's going to get us, that the, you know, the world's going to influence us. But it would be foolish and senseless to not have our guard up. Be careful then how you walk, making the best use of time because the days are evil. If you think you're above temptation or that you're immune to being driven off course or distracted from your mission to honor God and make disciples, powerful life that he's called you to. If you think that, that you can't be taken off course, it's probably because you already are off course. Or maybe you know, you're smart enough to not have a smartphone, but probably you are off course if you think you're immune to those things. We can be distracted from our mission. It says, be careful then how you walk, making the best use of time. God help me. Because the days are evil. Don't think that your understanding of God and the Bible and the world is a finished product, in other words. There is a corrupting and stagnating nature that we need to constantly fight. A, a, a winning fight, but a fight nonetheless. The worldly culture around us, we need to allow the potency of the gospel in and through us, driven by the power of the Holy Spirit, to supplant everything else that would come against us. It's a daily fight. And whether you're more prone to you know, right-wing worldliness or left-wing worldliness or some other form of worldliness, the Bible says here just to be careful, be humble, be teachable. The days are evil, just like our wicked and deceitful hearts are evil. And when they're not submitted to Christ and his love, left to themselves, they don't lead them us very well. Therefore, verse 17, we doing all right here? A few people over here, left side, strong side. Therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This verse will unpack and totally flip your mind around about what submitting means. I'm going I'm to show this to you. Don't miss this. This word foolish is a Greek word that means without reason, senseless. Everybody say senseless. senseless. Foolish, stupid, or without reflection or intelligence. Without reflection or intelligence. Now, we know that this sentence is building into a command for all of us, mutually submitted out of, out of reverence for Christ, to bear a deeper wisdom with how we relate to each other than how the world relates. When most of us think about what 
conservative culture or the Bible says about a, a woman submitting to her husband, what do we often think about? We think about a woman who doesn't get to have her own thoughts, right? Doesn't get to have her own say. Because after all, she's submitting to her husband. She's, she's like a enslaved to him, right? That's what, that's what submitting means. We think of someone as without reason, senseless, without reflection or intelligence. And what's beautiful about this is that this verse is saying, do not be that. Don't be without reason and without intelligence. We're co-heirs of salvation, men and women. We have a, a peace to offer that the other peace doesn't have the ability or the unique type of strength to offer. We're better together than apart. And don't allow yourself to be deluded to something lesser, striving for something else than how God made you uniquely to contribute to us. Don't be senseless. And it says this, don't be foolish or without reason, but the second part of the clause, understand what the will of the Lord is. What the will of the Lord is for marriage and for your life is so much bigger than any human him or herself can articulate or prop up. It is so much of a bigger thing. My marriage is about so much more than my marriage. It is to reflect something more glorious and eternal, something bigger than my desires or my wife's desires or the sum total of both. It is to be a transcendent picture of something so much greater. Understand what the will of the Lord is. What the will of the Lord is for your marriage and your life is way bigger than just one plus one equals two. It's way bigger than your thoughts, her thoughts combined. Let's try to agree. It's God creates us in something so much better. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's like it's said of Aslan in Narnia when he went to the table to lay down his life. Said there's a deeper magic being unlocked. There's a deeper power for marriage. Don't be foolish. We're not supposed to turn our brains off. We're supposed to examine this and understand the will of the Lord, that it's something deeper and more powerful. So the power of this sentence continues to build. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're not supposed to be senseless. We're supposed to walk carefully. We're not supposed to be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about this. When we're drunk... When a human being gets drunk, they are forced to be submitted to, more or less, their own basic flesh, their base desires. When you're under the influence of alcohol or anything else or unforgiveness or, or hatred or bitterness or worry or human things that are not the spirit of the living God, you are more subject to, captive to, under the submission of yourself without Christ. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're under the influence of His power, 
You have something way bigger than sin dictating how you live your life and conduct your relationships, how you can forgive others when they sin against you. You have a greater protection than just your self-protection. I grew up doing religious activities, and I was, a, I was drunk with the obsession of my own self-exaltation and insecurity and lust. But when I was led to Christ and enabled to repent and turn, change my mind about what I thought life and relationships were for uh, through a campus ministry that preached the gospel to me, I had the love of Christ placed inside of me and Ever since then, it's been supplanting all the other things that I could be filled with and under the influence of. And that is a process that's still at work in me. And I'm still careful and need to be careful about how I walk. And I want to be more filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the outflow of that filling causes me to be in better submission to a liberating power that makes us us, which is better than just me and you. When you're under the influence and full of the Holy Spirit, it enables you to live a greater, more dangerous, more adventurous, more unwasted, Christ-exalting, God-glorifying, devil-conquering lifestyle as a team member in a glorious and powerful adventure. Now, what else does this fruit produce? Check this out. Don't be filled with with wine and be drunk with it, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I love how it says that, making melody with your heart. Even if your singing is externally the opposite of melodious, you're, to, you're commanded to sing and make melody with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're filled with the Spirit of God, when, when we're under the submission of the influence of God, exaltation of God and exhortation of others is what, what our lips are for now. Anything else is just second place. It's, it's just depravity. It's a lesser thing. That's what our lips are for. Now, now go back to the verse, verses before and remember, it says, do not be drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this sort of praise and exhortation and powerful prophetic living amongst one another is what flows out of us. But think about, think about drunkenness just for a second. When you get a caricature of what people under the influence of alcohol, how, how they act, uh, maybe for some of us, it's that person who tagged us in their video from three or four years ago. Uh, that they won't untag us, whatever it is. <laughs> Think about it. You, you, you're, when you're under the influence, you're praising something. You're singing some sort of song, and it sounds awful. You're not in tune. It sounds gross. Your dancing's not right. Your singing's not right. You need an aesthetic bravery to sing bad anyway. But when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, what wells up inside you is fruitful, powerful, sustainable words and songs. And you sound glorious, at least to Jesus and your mom. <laughs> and the song that he creates in us is, is truly a melody that's powerful. That, 
no documentary can put the strings in the background. You know, there's that, uh, I'm old enough to, th- this is what fires me up, the, the strings, the, the eye of the tiger kind of like flows up in me when I'm full of the Holy Spirit and I just can't help but want to encourage other people and to praise the Lord. That's the life that you live. I'm going to be thrown off if I keep thinking about eye of the tiger. And so the last thing that this filling produces when God enables us to walk carefully is verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See that? It's the last part of this big, long sentence. It's a beautiful sentence, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before wives are instructed to submit to their own husbands, we are all commanded to submit to one another. If I'm full of the Spirit, my life is about something greater than my life. I'm in love. And I no longer want to simply be a huge part of something small. But I'm joyfully, thoughtfully submitted to being a small part of something huge. Not wasting it, not trying to get as many likes to my little things, but getting the affirmation of God for his big things that I'm submitted to. When we're in Christ, when we're in his love, it drives an unwasted sort of submitting to something bigger, to the us. And check this out. What drives this reverence and submission? It's out of reverence for Christ. Literally, out of God fear is what it says. If we're forgiven and we're made new, then strangely enough, being forgiven creates fear of God. Now, this, we shouldn't get used to this because this is strange. It's paradoxical. Usually, like fear, usually forgiveness and fear don't, aren't like parallel thoughts. Like you're forgiven, okay, you're fearful now. But, but check with me here. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, talks about this same beautiful paradox. Verse 3, if you, O Lord, were to mark our sins against us, who could stand? Basically, if you counted my sin against me, the, the, the right that I do will never outweigh the wrong. I've sinned against an eternal God. I have corrupted his other creatures with my selfishness. Worse yet, I've made excuses about it. I've sinned against an infinitely good God. And so I am infinitely condemned. If you were to mark our sins against us, oh Lord, who could stand? We would all rightly go to hell because you are just. Verse 4 of Psalm 130. But with you, there is forgiveness. That you may be, you'd think it says loved, worshipped. And all those things are true. But it says, with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. The reverence of knowing what you deserve And knowing what Christ has paid, even just an increasing amount of knowledge of how much it cost him and the love that drove him, secures you to submit yourself to something greater than yourself. And when someone sins against you, 
when that thing happens and it's just not fair. You can be submitted, not just hoping that that person will be loving back to you, but submitted out of reverence for Christ. Reverence to God's glory is the one thing that will set everything in your life and in your relationships in right order and orbit. Only when beholding the glory of Jesus in an increasing measure will my life make sense and gravitate towards the things that are sustainable and glorious. You just trying to be a better you will never, ever cause you to be a good husband or a good wife or a good friend. You'll just think you are. But when we're in reverence towards someone who is pure, we can behold his light and be purified. Out of reverence to Christ, we submit to one another. So verse 22, wives. Or if God is calling you to be a future wife, future wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, don't miss the intentional parallels of verse 21 and 22. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is the, the important subordinate clause that fuels the motive that sustains us being able to do that. In the verse 22, wives submit to your husbands, comma, as to the Lord. I think the parallel of both of these motives are what holds it up. Women, wives, you are not commanded to submit to your husbands, period. You're commanded to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So when your husband is acting like a total joke and not walking out verses 25 through 29, which is often my disposition, God help me, you don't have to depend on my behavior. The Lord is still the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And if you try to submit to your own husbands, not as to the Lord, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter if your husband is a top-notch sort of dude. It'll never work. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Marriage was not intended or designed or redeemed to be a relationship between a man and a woman. Marriage was designed to be between a man, a woman, and their God that they mutually submit to. And we perform different complementary roles that reflect something much bigger than marriage. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior. Now the husband... Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Remember, as verse 17 alluded to here, we are to image forth a deeper truth. My marriage isn't just about my marriage. There's a deeper gospel work at play when God tests you in relationships and people sin against you. There is a greater cost that's already been paid to set you up for a greater reward than what may be fair today in your relationships. There's a bigger work at play 
as we conduct ourselves submitting to one another in reverence. Married or single, the way you walk and order your steps and regulate your life secured in Christ's love and the way you commit to relationships should be strange in the world. People should look at your relationships, your forgiveness, your marriage, and say, that is bizarre. Similar to how God becoming man, dying on the cross, and raising again from the dead, with 500 verifiable eyewitnesses, by the way. Similar to how that is bizarre. Your life is to reflect the same thing. Christ redeems this whole thing of headship and submission in marriage. I've heard foolish bantering before of people saying something like, you know, uh, before the fall, you know, Adam and Eve, they were equal, and so they were like the same. Uh, and, and, you know, the sin coming into the world is uh, what created this whole like, paradigm of headship and submission. Um, I think that is foolishness, that thought. But I will agree that sin affected this whole thing. Sin didn't create headship and submission, this relationship. Sin ruined it. And so because of sin now, men don't play their roles the way they should, and women don't play their roles the way they should. And women, instead of often responding to the love of Christ and therefore relating and submitting, they react to the sin of their husbands and vice versa. Sin has ruined this. And, and husbands can either become brutal, authoritarian, domineering men, which is the loudest perversion of this whole thing. But I would say the most common perversion is husbands becoming passive cowards. Sitting on the couch, literally, but figuratively sitting on the sidelines of their marriage. Instead of doing sacrificially what we're going to talk about next week. And wives have felt like they're forced to become either controlling and manipulative or doormats, thoughtless, timid, instead of strong women that God's called them to be and to contribute. Sin ruins this, but listen, Christ redeems this. So it says that husbands, a little cheat into next week, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. But we can know this too, that when, when the Bible commands women, wives, to submit to their husbands, and when the Bible commands us to submit to one another, we're not doing anything that Christ has not already done either. Because not only has Christ performed perfect headship, and will he always do that with the church, Christ is the one who submitted to the greater glory of his mercy over his people. He said the night before he went to the cross, he prayed, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And he submitted himself to the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Would you pray with me?